0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio,
1: broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about strip tillage. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything else that's happening on your farm right now, you can give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media. Darren Hefty. Or Brian Hefty. All right, so with strip-till, the reason why we're talking about this today is we get lots of questions all the time about how do I get the benefits of no-till, like building my soil, I have healthier soil, leave residue out there, have less erosion, but I want a warmer seedbed and I want to place fertility deeper. Well, the way you can do all that is with strip-tillage. Now, yeah, and let me also, before we go into any of this stuff today, just... Please understand, I don't care if you run strip-till, conventional-till, no-till. That's up to you. That's your choice. We're here to help you no matter what you choose. So I can talk all day long about the benefits of conventional-till. I can talk all day long about the benefits of no-till. Today our topic is strip-till, though. And so we'll, we'll, we'll give you just a few things we've learned over the years from doing it ourselves and working with farmers all around the world Probably the biggest thing for me when I think about strip-till is the placement of fertilizer. Now, not everybody does fertility or puts on fertility when they are strip-tilling. They do it mainly because they just want to have that warm seedbed, the black soil there, a little easier planting, better stands, all that kind of thing. I get all that. But for me, the number one thing is where we're putting that fertilizer. Because on our farm, we're dry, We've been dry for two years now, a lot of areas around us getting lots of rain and in fact, even too much rain in many areas. We're not, we are still dry and we can really see it when we go no-till or strip-till. When we've got fertility down in the ground, that's even better than just having the moisture savings. Because when we were doing no-till, the moisture savings thing, that is real. And we can raise a crop on less rainfall because we're conserving moisture. I love that part about no-till. But the thing I didn't like with how we were doing no-till was we didn't get our fertilizer down on the ground. And what happens to us very often is we'll go a month with no rain and our top couple, three, four inches will dry out. Well, if there's no water there, that means you don't get any fertility into the plant either. Whereas when you have water down a little deeper, which we almost always do in our heavy soils, even in a drought year, we'll have moisture down 6, 8, 12 inches deep. Well, if I have some fertility down there, now I get the best of both worlds. I've got fertility going in plus water. That's a great combination, and we just get higher yields. So anyway that that's the reason why we're kind of passionate about strip till but again i'm i'm great with no till if you want to do that i'm great with conventional till it's up to you how you want to farm but we'll talk about strip till as we go throughout the show today all right let's get to the ag phd mailbag it's
0: now mailbag time with brian and darren all right, Brian. First one is a question that a lot of people probably have on their mind. This one comes from Amaya. I'm curious about your Ag PhD field day being a one-day event. We're traveling from out of state. What is the plan if it happens to rain
1: that day? Is that a normal thing in your area? Nope, it's not. I was just talking about how we'll often go a month with no rain. Well, we have lots of humidity. It's It's kind of crazy, the climate that we have here. We have more humidity than Miami, Florida in July and August a lot of years. So you'd think, "Oh, you guys must be getting rain every day." No, nope, we aren't. Well, how do you have the have, how do you have the moisture? Honestly, I think it's because of the cooler temperatures. Our high temp at the hottest point of the year is 86 degrees. That's it on average, 86. And we're down into the 60s every morning. So I, anyway, my, my point here is usually we don't have rain. If we do, we do have buildings, we have tents, we have plenty of places where we can still conduct our, our, our field day and have our field day. But yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're a little bit at risk with that, but that's just the way it goes. And I know we got a whole bunch of rain ponchos just in case it does happen to rain that day.
0: Alright, thanks for the question. Thanks for your interest. Look forward to seeing you coming up next month. This one from Brendan. He said, you guys always talk a lot about the broadleaf control products for cereals like Husky FX and Wide R Match, but we've got wild oats issues up where I farm and we always need something in the mix for wild oats. What's your favorite products to
1: mix in for that? Well, there aren't a lot of choices. You've got Axial, and now there's Axial Bold. Axial Bold is the combination of the old Puma together with Axial. And there is that old Puma. It's not name brand anymore. There's generic parity now. So both of those are ACC Ace products. There's also the old Discover, another ACC Ace. If you want to go ALS, there's Everest 3.0. Now, Everest 3.0 probably isn't quite as good on wild oats as Axial, but it's still pretty good, and it's pretty good on a lot of the grass species, plus it has a little bit of broadleaf activity too. So not a lot of choices there, but you got a few. And certainly if you want, there are these other combination products, whether it's Gold Sky, Open Sky, I'm trying to think of all the names that have, of the products that have come out now. But anyway, uh, Corteva has a number of these products where it's PowerFlex that you use in winter wheat with like three times the safener, something like three times the safener, so they can use that active ingredient in spring wheat. So just depends. Winter wheat, PowerFlex, fine. But spring wheat, then you've got that active ingredient. Now, that PowerFlex active isn't quite as good on wild oats as Everest, and it's certainly not as good as Axial, but it's not bad. It is another choice that you've got. Oh, and one more. I should mention Varro. Sorry. I keep forgetting. There are all these products that aren't usually sold by themselves, like Varro's in combination with Husky Complete, or with Husky to make Husky Complete. So anyway, got a few choices. Varro's ALS. All right, get this one in
0: from Eric. You said you talk a lot about using prowl in your soybeans. We've used it on corn, but we quit using Ooh. it when we saw major seedling damage. Yes. I'm worried about that on soybeans.
1: My rep said I no. could see damage on the beans. Uh, I, I seriously doubt it. So, yeah, granted, I'd love to use no herbicide. My weeds disappear, but i got to use something. And Prowl is great. We've almost never seen any injury issues in soil.
0: Yeah, especially if you use it early so you can rain it in and spread it out in the soil, or you can till till it it in in so you don't have this concentrated layer of herbicide on the soil surface. Thanks for the feedback, Eric. We really appreciate that. We'll be right back to talk about strip till after this.
2: It's planting season. Race against the clock season mistakes can't happen season and no one helps you face it all like John Deere putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster that makes your spacing and depth more accurate and that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season see what you have to gain at johndeerecom gain ground
3: it takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it
0: At AgPhD, we want to support anyone with a desire to learn more about agronomy. That's why we're devoting a full day, Saturday, June 25th, to the free AgPhD Scouting and Scholarships event. In-field sessions include a comprehensive guide to scouting, ways to improve soil and crop health, and how to best collect and manage on-farm data. Plus, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees, so this is one event that you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the AgPhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com.
3: Compromise is nice, if you're at the playground or scouring yard sales. But farmers know better that middle grounds have no winner. That's why there's Revitec fungicide, fast-acting and long-lasting, preventative and curative, disease control and stress reduction. So leave the settling to little Tommy at the seesaw, an old bargain bill, and take your full prize in yields with ReviTech fungicide for uncompromised performance. Always read and follow label directions.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. And our topic today is strip And I- uh, walking in today to the studio knowing strip was going to be the conversation I, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear from CJ Parker with KSIH to talk about this CJ I know you got some ideas and opinions and lots of experience with strip how are you doing today not too bad how about yourself Pretty good. Okay, so we hear from a lot of a lot of our listeners that say, "All right, you guys talk about strip till and some of the benefits and and certain types of ground where you're seeing this work well." Uh, what are some of the questions you get? I know there are growers that are just considering, uh, "Hey, strip till might be an answer for me too."
4: Yeah, I guess uh, one of the one of the biggest questions I get is, you know, do do I strip till in the fall? Do I strip till in the spring? Um, do I strip till right ahead of the, ahead of the planter? And, um, and it really depends on geography, how much time you have, and, and then of course, of course, soil type as well. Um, and and each time we get that question, we need to make sure we're preparing that strip. You know, whether we want it to be mounded up um, a little bit in the fall, so it'll mellow out and flatten down as it as it overwinters, or if we want that strip to like in the spring to be to be smooth and um, and ready to plant in right right into the planter. So it really kind of depends on what fits uh, fits a guy's operation and and what kind of soils they're working with.
0: You know, another thing too that that we get a lot of questions about is what do I need for control systems? What what type of GPS do you use? We we use uh, uh, RTK GPS. We we feel like man, we really need the best precision we can get. Is is that required or what do you recommend, CJ?
4: Um I really recommend I really recommend using an RTK type um, subscription because being able to go back in the row on, on top of those strips is, is pretty important, especially if you do it in the um, in the fall and to come back in the spring. Um, it's really, it's really important.
0: You know, another question we get a lot is manpower, and I know for for many farmers out there, they may be a, a one person operation, or maybe they just have two people. And you talk about fall, and they say, "Oh man, we're so busy with harvest." You talk spring, oh my goodness, we got to get the crop in, and it, it's it's tough because you really want your best operator running that, don't you? Um, yeah, you do,
4: and um, and I, I guess as we as we look to the future, maybe maybe that's something with a uh, comedy. That uh, that can maybe that can maybe come up, but uh, that is a that is a question we get quite a bit. Um, but one thing you can do with uh, with the Case IH AFS Connect uh, products is that that remote display view you can view that operator if you're sitting in the combine cab and and maybe check and see that uh, that he's running everything correctly and has everything set set the way that he wants.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you didn't have that system uh, back when Brad and I were younger, CJ. When Dad could have been watching everything we were doing that closely, uh, I, I was glad to have have a little freedom. But I I can certainly see the benefit of uh, being able to see what's going on and just to coordinate with the rest of your operators out there. Yes,
4: yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of happy it wasn't wasn't around right when I was here too. <laughs> running equipment really at home on the farm in Illinois where you grew up. But.
0: You know, the other thing is horsepower, CJ, and, and I I get it. I, I mean, we're trying to, to work with the equipment that we've got to some degree, but we also want to do a great job. We've got some rolling hills, and I know on the hilly ground you need a little bit more horsepower per row on a strip-tail rig than you do if you had flat ground. What do you normally recommend for a horsepower range per row?
2: Um,
4: I would say if you're in that, around that 40 40- Horsepower per range or so would probably be a good a good start. You know, a lot of the controllers and stuff, especially if you're putting fertilizer on and if it's uh, hydraulically controlled, and we can't forget about that taking horsepower requirements as well. So as you're uh, as you're going up on hills or maybe maybe you got some contours to go around, you know that takes uh, that takes hydraulic power as well too. So. So, I think we've got to take that into consideration if we're using any type of uh, hydraulic motor to control what fertilizer we might be putting down.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of different things folks are doing with strip till, and it's a, a practice that, that certainly has been beneficial for our farm, and I know a number of others. Uh, we're talking with CJ Parker here with Case IH just about some of those particulars to, to get the most out of it on your farm. CJ, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. Look forward to talking to you again down the road.
4: All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a good one.
0: You bet. I know, I mentioned horsepower, and our next guest, Chad Henderson, uh, with Extreme Ag down in Alabama, is probably all over this one. How you doing, Chad?
5: Oh, man, I'm all about that horsepower. <laughs> all right, talk to us about— no replacement for displacement. There you go. <laughs> just keep that in mind. There's no replacement for <laughs> displacement.
0: <laughs> okay, so talk to us about strip till. I know we visited about this in the past, and and obviously uh, every year we're learning more on our farm, and just as you are on yours. What are you seeing in the strip tail system, and how are you able to use that to push for high yield?
5: Man, the first year I'd done this, I'd love to listen to CJ talk there for a few minutes. You know, <laughs> from uh, the guy from KSH there. It's yeah, helped a lot. But. Uh, um, everything that he's talking about is things we've we've been through you know st- i started out you know and we have some redder soil you know some tighter soil and it it definitely eats some horsepower up man i'm in mean, the first tractor i hooked that thing to yeah you know, i could almost stop it and i said oh my so we uh we we figured that piece out you know kind of with the horsepower and he's he's dead on on that on them on the on the power per foot but uh mainly we done it to uh to get to Fewer passes in the field, kind of, and to get that get that um, fertilizer placement where we want it, and then to save some money on the fertility side of it.
0: You know, you, you talk about the fertility piece, and for us, as Brand mentioned, and that was something that we didn't like when we were in no-till, that we wanted to get nutrients down into the soil. We get hot and dry. You guys get hot and dry where you're at, mm-hmm. too. Uh, that placement's a big one. Um, did you find – were you putting N down in, in that depth, too, or are you mainly putting P and K and micros?
5: Well, we put P and K and micros up until after the first year. So, you know, we're going to try to plant that second week to third week of March is when our window is. So if we can, you know, if we can run any in December with a strip tail, you know, like November, December, we would, we just put down P and K. And then when we come in there and we're going to run in January, even up into the first of February, we'll run, you know, um, then we're going, we'll be put adding in urea then as well. You know, but we just really have to watch it with urea because, you know, we get into some humidity changes and. It'll try to run out the bottom of the rig. on the to see now.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. You know, a lot of different challenges in Alabama. And when you say, oh, we're going to plant the second or third week of March, that sounds really good to us up north. But uh, you got <laughs> a long season where you're battling, uh, like say, nutrient loss, weed control, all these yep. things. Uh, what do you see yep. with your crop? Do you get a little faster start? We, we do in the north. Um, just kind of curious. Do you see the same thing there?
5: We do, we do. Um, you know what we're battling is. You know we we do a little bit of everything. We have some no-till. We have a lot of conventional where we work all the ground up, and then we have some strip-till as well. You know we're just trying to make these pieces of the puzzle fit. You know because every piece of ground is not all for working up, or every piece ain't for no-till, and and so everything has a fit, and we're just trying to use it for that. And and it gets us in the field. You know with the planters running. If I had all no-till and I had to wait till it all dried out behind a double crop cover that's where I'm running it at behind a wheat bean double crop deal you know after we harvest the beans it's just that mat is a lot of times so thick that I can't get it dry out under there sure sure
0: you know uh, I think about extreme ag and the work that you and your team are doing the cool thing is you get to talk to farmers really all over the place that you might not otherwise get to speak to and and you get to learn lessons too what are you hearing on this strip till piece there's some some tips you're picking up from others
5: Man, yeah, we've learned so much. I mean, we don't—we need, need a whole episode on that. <laughs> we could—I've learned so much from our from our fellow extreme ag members. You know, on, on stuff that they've been doing a long time. as, you know, we talked about—you know—he talked about the way the hump want to be. You want to hump, or you want not want to hump. You know, people talk about running wider rigs for less compaction, or running a narrow rig and running with more speed. I mean, there's so many different variables that that farmers all over the country will argue and none of them are wrong, you know, it's what fits in what location, you know, so man, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good information out there from, from our farmers who's been strip tailing, you know, out in the plains for a lot of years, you know.
0: Sure. Yeah. There's a lot of smart farmers out there. We're happy to be talking to one right now, Chad Henderson down in Alabama. (laughs) Hey Chad, uh, we got to run, but look forward to seeing you coming up later this summer and uh, look forward to talking to you again down the road.
5: Good to talk to y'all guys.
0: You bet. We're talking strip-till on today's Ag PhD radio show, and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll be right back.
5: Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman, when there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH.
0: Case IH, built by farmers.
2: What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another Carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall.
3: Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
1: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today talking a little about strip tillage. And next on the show, we got Sean Arthur with us. He's from down in Iowa and he's with Environmental Tillage Systems. Sean, how are you today?
6: Good afternoon. I'm doing well today.
1: All right, so as I look around the country, it just seems to me like here in the last few years, we've seen a lot more people going to strip-till. Is that kind of what you're finding? Are strip-till acres growing?
6: Yeah, we're definitely seeing the strip-till acres growing uh, here in my area of Iowa and Illinois, which is the territory that I cover, but even across the entire U.S. it's growing in popularity as more and more farmers are seeing the benefits that strip-till has to offer.
1: All right. So, talking about those benefits, when when you visit with farmers, what's the number one thing that stands out to them? What's the number one reason why they say, "Yep, I want to, I want to try this strip till thing"?
6: Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, we've got customers that are coming from all ranges of the spectrum. We have people that are doing traditional tillage methods right now that are looking for improved uh, efficiencies across their operation. Uh, some of the guys that are doing intense tillage are seeing some of the the risks. Um, with the dry weather we've had, there's some of the dirt that's been blowing and leaving their field and they're unhappy with uh, the ability to keep that soil in place. So they're, they're exploring strip tillage because of environmental reasons. Uh, we've also got people on the other end of the spectrum that are maybe doing some of those better practices right now with no-till or highly conservation practices. And they're coming back to strip till because they've got needs to maybe incorporate some more of that fertilizer and improve that seed bed before they're planting their crop. So to tell you what the main, main reason is for people to come, it's really a complex question, and it depends on where a guy's coming from in the first
1: place. Sure. All right. So let me ask you another question that I, I assume you're going to get a variety of answers to. But for somebody who's new to strip-till, they say, all right, I'm going to do this thing for the first time now this fall, or maybe it's next spring what's the number one mistake that the, I'll call them newbies, make, and then they learn from that and they go, ooh, I don't want to do that again. So what's the biggest thing that stands out to you, or what do you hear from farmers?
6: So from a strip-till mistake, um, I'd say the, the biggest hesitancy that people have is just understanding the changes they go to the system. There's a lot of people that are concerned about planting into that strip, and I'm curious about how is it going to plant in the spring? So coming from uh, on my own operation, I was doing intense tillage, um, more traditional tillage methods. And when I went to strip till, my concern was going to be, okay, what is that going to look like when I come to plant into it in the spring? I did strip till in the fall the first year, and I had some concerns about what it was going to look like. But it was a very uh, unique experience for me, a very... Um, I guess, relaxed experience when I went out there, and it wasn't nearly as concerning as I thought it was going to be. So making them fall strips, coming back in the spring, really did provide an easy planting experience for me, and that was a bit of a relief in my situation.
1: Because of all the the, the things we do here at Ag PhD, we like planting into a variety of different conditions. So we do some strip till every year. We do some conventional till. We do a lot of trial work and we farm quite a few acres. We farm about 3,400 crop acres now. And so we get to try stuff on a big scale. And I can just tell you in a lot of cases, people think that the conventional till is going to dry out faster, but quite often we're into the strip till first before we're into the conventional till. So just, I, I, I thought about that as you were talking about this concern people have going into the spring. I mean, yeah, it's possible you might have a little more residue blow over the top of the strip till, but getting in there to plant, to us at least, has not been a big issue.
6: Yeah, I would agree with that. You might have some, like you said, residue on top of the strip, but your zone that you're going to be planting into is actually, it tends to be some cleaner dirt and a better planting environment. Uh, if you compare it to a, a full-width tillage system, uh, let's look at corn on corn specifically. Uh, you had corn the prior year, you ran a deep tillage tool, maybe a disc ripper or something in the fall, came back in the spring with a field cultivator, across that entire field you're going to have those root balls and corn residue from the prior season is going to be all mixed up across the entire field down to a depth of anywhere from 6 to 12 inches depending on how you ran your your tillage tools. But it's going to have that residue mixed completely inside of it. Where if we change that over and go to strip till, and I guess in my own operation I would offset that pass when I come back the following year. So I'm making my strips and then planting right between the prior year's uh, corn stalks or corn root balls. So what we do when we're making the strip is the zone cleaners on top of the ground are going to clean off the surface residue, and then you've got your tillage that creates a nice zone right between last year's root balls. So the area that you're actually planting into has less residue in it than a full-width tillage system. So it's kind of counterintuitive because you can see so much more of it on top, but it's important to remember that the seed cares most about its own microenvironment. So down at a depth of two inches right into that strip, it's really a lot cleaner, less congested environment that you're planting into. And any residue that does move over on top of that strip uh, over the winter, um, a, a planter set up with good row cleaners on there is able to move that off to the side and still get down to some nice, clean planting conditions.
1: Anything else you want to leave our listeners with today, Sean? When it comes to strip tillage,
6: uh, be open to some trying some new things. Uh, in, in prior years, um, let me let me phrase this differently. The advent of GPS and how intensely that's used across the ag industry, the guidance systems that we have out there are allowing strip till to be used uh, in much more environments than we could in the past. In prior years, many farmers were trying to pair up the size of their strip till bar with their planter to make sure that they could drive it and plant right on top of those strips. But that can create some challenges because the horsepower per row required to pull a planter is significantly less than a strip tillage machine. Um, And pulling a 24-row strip till bar is taking a whole lot of power, (laughs) and it can uh, really be a challenge to find a tractor to do that. So I guess my advice would be be open to trying something new and make sure that you're sizing something that's going to be appropriate to your tractors and the size of your operation and get yourself set up in a system that's going to be working for you for years to come.
1: That's Sean Arthur. He's with Environmental Tillage Systems. Sean, thanks a lot for the time today. Really appreciate you being on the show. It's great stuff. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. You bet. Thanks. Yeah, what he was talking about there toward the end with GPS systems, that was a big deal for us. We've got rolling hills and everything, and and for one, just the tracking of the strip-till and and the planter. Uh, I was concerned about that in the beginning, but when we had RTK GPS, I'm like, okay, this is a good step forward. And so I felt like now we could strip-till. So we've started really, uh, probably 15 years ago, once we got that type of system, then we were able to... Go harder toward strip till on some of the acres we wanted to do it on. But the other thing is just when we're talking about strip till machines, and he mentioned 12, like 12, for example, on our farm, we're running a 12 row machine and then 24 row planter. So to have those things matching up, you say, mm, is it really going to match up absolutely perfectly? Look, we've done a bunch of research on this. And what we found is as long as you're close to the center of that strip, you're okay. Our uh, w- what we determined is with, if we were within about four or five inches one side or the other, we were pretty good. Granted, right over the top, the best, but close enough uh, was usually fine. Now, granted, if we were in between the strip where there was no, uh, no, I'll call it black dirt there, there's a whole bunch of residue and you're off that strip, yeah, we can see the difference. I, in fact, I was just talking to an agronomist, Rob Fritz, this morning. He's been on the show a number of times here, and he <laughs> he pointed out to me in one of our fields, yeah, see the yellow corn over there? I'm like, yeah, what what happened there? We missed uh, some nitrogen or whatever, and he goes, no, we just got off the strip. So you want to stay on the strip as much as you can, but typically, and especially for us, with all our rolling hills and everything I, and, and doing thousands of acres, over many years i would say we just haven't had a whole lot of problem with that so i really feel pretty good about it in most environments you should be able to follow pretty well and maximize yield that way i guess the other thing that i'll i'll say about strip till a lot of people get concerned about the time that it takes in the fall but keep in mind you're done then and you can just go plant in the spring you don't have to worry about doing tillage to get everything ready in the spring you just go plant so that part is nice I would say you typically want to have at least a good, I'll call it a good operator in the fall. Um, you, you know what I'm talking about here. So the, the point is you're going to be setting your rows for the spring and you want to make sure that that's done properly. So at least whoever you have running it, I'd give them some coaching to say, look, this is how I want stuff set up for the spring so I can run my planter in there in the spring and not have a whole bunch of issues but yeah we've really liked strip till over the years it's worked out well for us again we do a variety of different things have for a long time i can make almost anything work but strip till definitely has some advantages for us probably the biggest advantage years it's when we're dry because i know i've got moisture down deep now i've got fertilizer down deep and we usually turn out pretty well we'll keep talking a little bit more about strip till and then get to more of your questions in the ag phd mailbag coming up next
7: Maximum application flexibility. Maximum yields at harvest, whether or not. Relentless is the kind of control you'll always get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Low use rate Anthem Max Herbicide protects corn and soybean crops from the toughest broadleaf weeds and grasses, including water hemp, palmer pigweed, foxtails, crabgrass, and more. Dual modes of action and lasting overlapping residuals also help you minimize resistance in your fields. It's easy to tank mix formulation and wide application window make Anthem Max Herbicide the crop protection choice that's ready when you are. Rain or shine, whether or not, relentless, that's Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC visit your fmc retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more always read and follow all label directions
0: be sure to attend the 2022 ag phd field day i'm darren hefty the ag phd field day isn't until the last thursday in july but we invite you to mark your calendars today for our biggest event ever each summer on the last thursday in july we invite you to attend the ag phd field day The reason we invite farmers from across the country and around the world to our farm each summer is to say thank you. Ag PhD TV has had a brand new episode each week for 24 years, and we've been doing a radio show almost as long as well. At this year's Ag PhD Field Day, we'll have way more equipment and equipment demonstrations than we've ever had before. We've got a lot of new technologies we'll put into our research plots on site, and we'll have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and free food and drinks all throughout the day. Please go to agphd.com to learn more, and don't forget to join us on Thursday, July 28th for the free Ag PhD Field Day.
3: When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's ZealPro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow
7: label instructions.
1: Thanks for listening today to AgPHD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty live in the Morton studio. Next on the show, we got Shane calling in from Audi in Ohio. Hey, Shane, how are you today?
8: I'm good. How are you?
1: Excellent. So, what's farming like right now in Ohio? What are you up to out there? Uh, so,
8: we just finished up 26 acres of organic sunflowers this morning, switching the planter over to replant some more soybeans.
1: What did you have to replant for? Did you get hail or something?
8: No, we had a big rain event, two of them in a row. Um, South of us got like six inches on one shot in about two hours, and then two or three days later, we got like another inch and a half.
1: Yeah, that's no fun. And replanting at this time of year, when you think you're all done, that's a little bit frustrating. So today on the show, we're talking about strip tillage, and it sounds like you've been strip tilling for a little while here. Tell us a little bit uh, about what you've learned with strip till on your farm.
8: Um, here in northwest Ohio, we really want to be doing it in the fall. Um, we, we're running about eight inches deep. Uh, sometimes we'll shallow up to six, just depending on where our compaction level is. Uh, but it really seems to get us in the field days if not a week ahead of no-till or till situations uh just got that perfect seed bed right there uh 10 inches wide and then a firm you know ground to drive on for the planter um and uh just seems to warm up and dry up faster
1: do you put on fertilizer when you're strip tilling
8: yeah we're running a twin product prescription
1: so liquid or dry
8: Dry, both okay dry. We're yep. uh, running the Orthman with the Valmar cart. Oh, okay.
1: Yep, yep. So, how long have you been doing strip till on your farm?
8: Since two thousand and seven.
1: Okay, so fifteen years now. It's kind of similar time frame to us. What What are I'm sure today there are some people listening and and they maybe haven't strip tilled before or just going to start it. What are the top, like, one or two lessons you kind of learned in the beginning where you say, boy, I wish I'd have known this up front and I wouldn't have done it that way?
8: Uh, First off, just like any tillage is uh, weather conditions. Make sure you don't get on it too wet. You're just going to compact your sidewall. Um, Second off, if it is um, a little wetter conditions, let's say we're normally running 8 inches, i seen just as good a benefit by bumping it up to six inches and, uh, so that we can get out there and run a couple of days early. Because with the weather events that we've been doing, uh, you don't want to wait too long. Uh, yeah. You want to make sure and get that ground work. So a little bit of you know um, forgiveness in the fall is better than trying to get something done in the
1: spring. Have you ever done strip tail in the spring?
8: Uh, Yeah, we ran the Orthman Spring Coulters in the spring. Not real happy with it in our clay soils, but that was in our conditions. Sure. And uh, in 2012, I believe, um, we ran all of our acres in the spring. Uh, It dried up early. Uh, We were able to run, I think we ran five inches deep and had tremendous success with it that year uh, because it actually turned dry, droughty
1: conditions out
8: here and you know, we put bushels on where the neighbors, you know, that had worked there hadn't.
1: Yeah, so so if I understand right, basically you don't have a big issue with spring strip till if the weather was right, but the problem is if you don't do it in the fall, now you have to get it done in the spring, and that that's really the challenge, isn't it?
8: Yeah, we ran yeah. into that. We didn't get any of our own personal acres done this fall, so we were hoping to do it this spring, and, you know... We were extremely wet. We had to just go out and spread the fertilizer on and no-till our corn. So we'll see what this year ends up happening for us yield-wise. But, you know, uh, weather conditions, Mother Nature controls it all.
1: Yep, that's for sure. Yeah, we've had that exact same scenario happen to us. A lot of times we'll do all our harvest and then we'll say, all right, now we're dedicated to strip-till. And some years the ground freezes up immediately or it just starts raining and won't end in the fall. But most of the time, fall is, is usually the best. All right, any last advice you got for any of our listeners today, Shane, in, in terms of strip-till?
8: Uh, don't be afraid of it. Do it. Um, I think it's a wonderful addition to anybody that wants to do moderate tillage or a little bit of tillage um it uh it works well way better than no-till in my opinion um at least on our ground and uh you still get that benefit of
1: nice fresh stale seed bed all right hey uh shane thanks a lot for calling in today really appreciate it love having loved having you on the show and i hope to talk to you again sometime soon so good luck out there in ohio
8: yes thank you appreciate it you guys take care
1: yep thanks you too Right next, we got Jim calling in from South Dakota. Had a little issue out in the field. Jim, what can we do for you today?
9: Well, I was listening to WNX this morning, and I heard a guy talking on there about Flexstar with the 10 months. uh,
1: To corn, Yeah, We
9: put corn down, and I think I probably had a little of that, because I planted the 26th of April, and part of the field, it's an old gravel pit, and... um, the top there's some of the clay that wasn't ever mine came up beautifully you know I mixed a little older seed in with new seed and I I germ tested the seed and it was fine and and up on the top part it's all picket fence you know and I'm pretty nice decent for an old puff and blow you know it's got the the old international's got the gravity feed boxes so it feeds in there and uh, you get in the low ground where it was cooler and wetter Maybe gravelier. Maybe it didn't come out. I mean, it's the moisture, and it didn't volatize as quickly. But the seed did not come up very well. Sure. So I replanted some of that, and and then the same on a, a low bottom field. It did not come up very well, and the and so um, does that have to volatize? Maybe I'm using the wrong term, guys. I I I don't know if I, I went to the Morton Center of agricultural knowledge this winter, but I don't know. I didn't learn on that.
1: So. <laughs> all right. So I'll just say, first of all, if it's Flexstar, and it could be a little bit of that, then a lot of times we'll see white at the top of the corn plant. Now, we don't always have to see that. We could see stunted plants. But to think that it prevented the plants from coming out of the ground, that doesn't usually happen in this, unless there was a big rate. So I'd also say if you had fall moisture, you had some spring moisture, then hopefully you you didn't have that tremendous carryover or anything else. So, yeah, we we occasionally will see some flex star issues. But what it sounds like to me is going on is it's that low wet ground. So then there's usually more disease there. You have more waterlogged soils. And so sometimes that can be a problem. It's also a little cooler in some of that ground. And so when it's cooler, well, then you're, you're more worried about not just the germination, but the cold germination. So you could also have had crusting. I mean, it's really hard to say. There are a lot of factors that, that could have entered in here. Right. So without looking at the field myself, I, I, I'm just throwing some things out at okay. you.
9: Well, and my professor up there at the college at the Morton Center told me, I think, was it 5,000 more BTUs it takes on wet soil? Or 500 times, it was a huge amount more of BTUs it takes to overcome the cold, the wet soil. Remember that?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't know in terms of BTUs or anything, but I, I would just BTUs. say when when yeah. we've got heavy soil, then it it's going to take... Uh, some some effort some sunlight some heat to get things going and this mm-hmm. year especially when you start talking about april 26th it was cold yeah. i just looked yesterday yeah. at what what soil temps were in fact uh, I, sh- I could probably pull that up here but well and, and even into what memorial day we got down to 30 some wasn't it or
9: before that a week or two
1: it was uh, terrible yeah I mean it's it, it's pretty bad so what I did like at right at our field day site we ha- South Dakota State University has mm-hmm. a weather station there and so I right. I got the high temp high soil temp for the day and the low soil temp for the day. And just as an example, on April 26th, so, and yeah, I mean, you're probably an hour or so away from us, but, but anyway, that day our soil temp had a high of 54 degrees, which sounds good. The problem is the low soil temp for that day, 33 degrees. 33. Wow. Yep. The next day, the low was 38, then 39, then 45, 44, 41, Mm -hmm. 40, 38, 39. You see where I'm going with this. You got a 10-day stretch there. and I I waited. We're cold. Yep.
9: My professors told me earlier you get the crop in, the better the yield usually, but not this year, so I didn't
1: know. Well, not necessarily. Uh, you And on all that other ground, it might still turn out fine. And, yeah, I guess I'd just get an agronomist out there, take a look, see if he can figure out what can be done in the future. So hopefully that doesn't happen again. It very well might have been some crusting or something, too, in some of that low ground that, that could have hurt. But cold germination score, that may have been it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
2: There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler fungicide unleashes the power of the plant's microbiome and multiple modes of action to deliver extended, broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. With all the advantages of no residue, zero PHI, minimal REI, and take mix flexibility. Get the fiercest, most effective protection available with Howler fungicide, a product of AgBiome. Learn more at agbiome.com Howler.
5: With superior materials, craftsmanship and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit mortonbuildings.com.
3: Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farmshop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com
0: for more.
5: Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro.
3: When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's ZealPro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions.
1: Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, and it's time now for more from the Ag PhD Mailbag. This one comes from Jeremy in central Minnesota. He says, I saw this thing on E15 that now that is going to be approved year-round, and and the problem is uh, there's a story out saying that this is somehow bad for the environment, and I just wanted you guys to comment on this. Okay, so what he did, he sent me this article from a news organization, and here, here's the first line. It says the White House is trying to save Americans money at the gas pump, but a University of Minnesota professor professor says its plan could cost consumers more in the long run. Get real, come on, guy, are you serious? It, number one, he's saying it can only be used in cars 2001 and newer. No way. So go back to the Model T, uh, professor of university from University of Minnesota. The Model T could handle pure ethanol. Any car in the United States, pretty much, that runs on a gasoline-type fuel— can run 50% ethanol, maybe 60 something like that. There's no problem. And to say that you can't use it in lawnmowers, most small engines you can't use it in, come on, also ridiculous. I run uh, ethanol in my boat, works just fine. Small engines, works just fine. There's no problem. And then there are also some environmentalists saying E15 could contribute to smog concentration during the summer. Does anybody actually believe this nonsense that people are talking about? Yes, Jeremy, I'm frustrated as well, because when you have people that say such idiotic things, it's 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 just hard to keep listening to those people when they're so absolutely dead wrong and or lying about things. But E15 is fantastic. Uh, no problems, Super safe for the environment. And it's a renewable fuel. All right. Next one comes from Steve. He says, I've got saw green briar and it's infiltrated my pasture. What do I do? Well, I... I, I Steve, I'm not real familiar with this weed, but I just know it's a flowering vine. So it's a vine, number one. Vines are tough to control. Number two, it's got rhizomes and tubers. Number three, it is a perennial. So you got the trifecta there. It's not real good. Um, the only thing that I see that's had some activity on this has been tricl- triclopyr or Remedy, uh, like Remedy Ultra, with triclopyr, that's typically a product that's good on woody species. So, if let's say you had some trees, brush, that kind of thing, that's where the triclopyr usually really stands out. All right, next one comes from Duster. He says, uh, You know, you guys are an absolute wealth of information, but your back and forth, uh, your banter, your disagreeing, your blatant undermining of the other's opinion turns me off on your show fast uh, try sitting down beforehand and discussing your show instead of getting on the camera and ironing out your disagreements on practices now duster i'd say this some people really like that and for darren and me we're trying to just show you what normal a normal farm situation looks like on most farms you're dealing with family Okay, that's just, that's the way it's always been, probably the way it'll always be. And sometimes we're going to have disagreements on things, but I hope you can see that when we get down to it in the end, the answer is almost always, hey, you know what? Let's just prove it in the field. Because quite frankly, I don't even care if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, that's even better because now my brother has proven me wrong in the field and now I get to make more money instead of just continuing to be wrong year after year moving forward. Right, next one here is from Jeff in central Minnesota, and he says, I got corn at V5 to V6, and I'm pulling nitrogen or nitrate samples, pre nitrate samples. Would you prefer, or what do you prefer, between running a coulter machine now or going with Y drops later? Now, my agronomist said either is good, but if my samples come back and say I need nitrogen now, should I go with the coulter because I got no rain in the forecast? Jeff, we were in this exact same boat a few days ago. Guess what we did? We ran with the coulters. We, in fact, we're almost done side dressing now on the fields we needed to. I just, I, I couldn't wait. I didn't want to take the chance of leaving something on the soil surface and not having moisture when we were having 100 degree temps. So his other question here is, when wide dropping, do you feel adding humic or fulvic acid helps at all? Or is that just foo-foo juice? Uh, Jeff, I would say there are a lot of people talking about humic as somewhat of a nitrogen stabilizer. You can certainly try that. Even uh, some agronomists I know quite well talk about that, and they absolutely believe it. So it doesn't cost much. Would I be willing to try that? Sure, I would. But here again, if you want to try some with and some without and just see if you see any difference, I don't think there's going to be anything major either way. But again, keep in mind, the cost isn't very high, so you wouldn't have to have much of a yield gain either. All right, next question is from Ethan up in Ontario, Canada. He says, we've been growing beans on beans with cereal rye as a cover crop for four years straight now in one field because we never have any luck with corn. Next year, I'd like to do corn, but every time we try it, it just doesn't pay. Have you guys got any ideas we could try for this ground? I sent you my soil samples. Oh, and he says, P.S., it's very sandy ground, as you can probably tell from the soil test. Yes, yes. It is pretty sandy ground, Ethan. When I see cation exchange capacity of six or eight, that's not real great. Now, you didn't have base saturation tests. So I actually pulled up my spreadsheet and ran base saturation here. This is light ground, again, six to eight CEC. And you only have, you're under 100 parts per million of potassium. That's one of my first things I look at for corn and for beans. So you're at Uh, around 3% for base saturation K. That is too low. So you got to make sure you're putting K on. And with that light soil, even if you get rain, you're probably going to have to put more on in season for potassium because it's not going to hold. We know nitrate and sulfate aren't going to hold in that kind of soil, but even potassium in that kind of soil will not hold super well. The other thing that I, I just wanted to bring up is you've got a test here for zinc and a test for manganese. But I don't see any tests for boron, iron, molybdenum, uh, copper. So I'd be curious how those things are. But I think more than anything, it's probably just the fact you got light soil. And corn does require a fair amount of rainfall. So unless you somehow um, have uh, the inside tip from God on if we're going to have a wet year or dry year, it's going to be tough raising corn there when you don't have irrigation. So I, I totally understand why you've gone beans. We've done similar types of things in the past on some of our very lightest ground, if, especially if we're going into the season with very little moisture. All right, next one is from Connor up in Saskatchewan. He says, I'm looking to top dress some amber durum. This is not a common practice where we farm. I'm looking to top dress using UAN, in a sprayer application. Now, I was wondering, what's a safe application rate, and what style of drip hose or streamer bar you'd recommend? In other words, like which brand you prefer? Um, some will be applied post and pre-flag. I'm very new to this method, so any information would be greatly appreciated. All right, Connor, I'll say this: there are uh, the, the the way I prefer putting this on would be with stream bars, and I, we don't typically run drop hoses we'll do that in corn where we have wider rows in wheat we really don't do that because we worry about it messing up the wheat and and not pulling through very well getting caught everything else so it's usually these stream bars I, I don't necessarily have a specific brand or anything, but let me just say this. What we're after is a nice stream that can get to the ground without having lots of fines, and all of a sudden you're getting burn across your crop. So it'd be the same type of thing as we don't want you out there when it's 35-mile-an-hour wind, so it's blowing side to side, and all of a sudden you get got all this leaf burn. You can put on almost any rate you want as long as it can get to the ground without having it drift all over the place and end up on a lot of your upper leaves. The other thing I would encourage you to take a look at is sulfur. A lot of times when we're putting nitrogen on, we're also putting some sulfur out there. That can be a big deal. Now, in, 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 there are some people who will spray very low rates just foliar, especially once you get to heading. Then they might put on, let's say, three gallons of 28% and put it with a fair amount of water. Uh, you you want to at least have one-to-one water, if not two-to-one water to fertilizer, just so you don't have excessive leaf burn. But anyway, they'll, they'll put on some or 28 around heading to increase the protein level so that would be another thing you could potentially try but yeah we've done a lot of work with stream bars over the years typically works out quite well the big thing just like I say make sure you have good streams and it's not uh, blowing all over the place creating a big issue for you all right and then the last one here Brian from Ontario says land packers or rollers that's my question uh, a lot of people say these packers they don't or they do prevent crusting and wind erosion. Uh, now, today, land rollers are dominating with many rolling before planting corn or after planting soybeans. My question is, there research done comparing packers to rollers? Any yield differences? Would you recommend rolling or packing before planting corn? Brian, we've looked at this for a lot of years. Some people love it, especially when I, I, don't, I don't know rollers versus packers and exactly which machine you're using. No, I don't have research on that, but I just know... Guys that have rocks are the ones that like those things the best. In my rolling hills, I worry about more erosion, not less. Typically, we aren't using a roller or packer of any sort, and our corn turns out just fine. All right, before we go, just want to say thanks to our production staff. My sister Janelle is running the controls again today, and thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.